Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a lot of ways, and maybe this is just a limiting belief, I just feel like I'm a normal average dude. When I got started speaking, for example, I met a guy who, who was a successful speaker and we became good friends, still good friends today. He had a crazy story. As a kid, he had cancer, had a leg amputated and went on to become a one-legged downhill skier in the Paralympics. And I'm just like, as a speaker, I'm like, I can't compete with that. I'm a white male from the Midwest who grew up in like a normal middle-class family. I've never broken a bone. I've had a pretty average normal life. Now, having said that, I absolutely love my life. I would not trade lives with anyone. I think I have a really, really great life. But it's because like, I think I've, I've been super intentional about the kind of life that we've built in, in our marriage, in my relationship with my daughters, in our business and how we live life and the trips and experiences and just kind of the lifestyle that we have. It's all been very, very intentional. So if anything, I just want to be an example of my life's not perfect in any way, but your life can be what you want it to be. But it's up to you to make it happen. Like, don't wait on your parents to solve your problems. Don't wait on the government to swoop in and save you. Don't wait on someone else to fix things. Like, you get to decide what life looks like for you, and then you get to go after that. And so, again, I'm not perfect. I make plenty of mistakes, but dang, man, I really love life and I love the life that I have. And I think there's just an intentionality and I don't think that's any secret sauce or ability that I've got. I think anybody can pursue that same type of life that they desire. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Grant Baldwin. Today, we're discussing public speaking. A lot of you might have a fear of public speaking. In fact, statistically speaking, about 75% of the population suffers from glossophobia. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking, very, very common phobia, and one that is truly believed to affect a majority of the population. In today's discussion, we talk about the different ways you can find your voice and use your voice. Find your voice and use your voice. What a beautiful way to use your most important instrument. I am confident that you will be able to learn a lot from Grant as well as his resources, so make sure you check his links in the show notes. And as a fellow teacher of public speaking, and a fellow speaker, I always love when people unlearn the bad habits that we've had when it comes to speaking on stage. So I hope that this acts as a confidence booster for you all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's episode is with Grant Baldwin. Now, as founder and CEO of the Speaker Lab, Grant has helped thousands of people build successful and sustainable speaking businesses. 
Over the last 15 years, Grant has become a sought-after speaker, podcaster, author, accomplished entrepreneur. Featured on the Inc. 5000 list, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the Huffington Post, he has committed his expertise and insights to equipping others to share their meaningful messages with the masses. Now, each of you listening to this podcast know that that's exactly what this podcast is about. How do you turn your story into something that can impact the world? So I'm really, really excited to have Grant on here because he's spoken in all, you know, he has students rather in all 50 U.S. states and he has students in 45 countries around the world. So welcome to the show. Tayo, my man. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. I appreciate it. The pleasure's mine. The pleasure's mine. And a little inside baseball here, the audience, I was telling Grant that I, uh, I've been a, a fan of his for a long time. And it was just, you know, I never thought someone would reach out to me and say, let's have Grant on the show. But I, I listened to a lot of his, his work and I just listened to his, followed his career for a long time. So it's a pleasure to have him on here. But the audience might not know that. The audience might not know how you got started. So how did you get started? If we go way back in time, I was really involved in high school. I was really involved in my local church. My youth pastor had a really big impact in my life. And I was like, I want to do that. Like that seems like a really cool, rewarding, fulfilling career. And I, I was just kind of felt like if I could make the kind of difference in others that he made in my own life, like that just seemed like a life worth living and a career worth pursuing. And so that's kind of the path I was on. I went to Bible college. I was a youth pastor for a little while. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And speaking was one of those things that I really enjoyed. I felt like I was good at. I wanted to do more of, but it, I just didn't know, like, how do you get started? How do you find gigs? How much do you charge? Who hires speakers? What do you speak about? Speaking for so many people, as you well know, Tyler, is like this mysterious box, you know? So at the time, this was, you know, 17, 18 years ago or so, there weren't any podcasts or trainings or coaches or there just wasn't a lot of resources on the speaking industry. So I found myself just emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking, just kind of pick your brain type stuff and learned a couple of things, got some advice, started booking a couple of gigs and that led to more gigs and more gigs. And eventually I got to a point where I was doing about 60, 70 paid speaking gigs a year. And I loved it. It was a blast, had a ton of fun, then had a lot of people who were asking me like, hey man, I want to do that. How would I go about finding speaking gigs? And so I started doing some coaching training around that. And that has really evolved into what we do today with the Speaker Lab. And so the Speaker Lab is a, a coaching and training company for those interested in learning about how to find a book paid speaking gigs on a consistent basis, how to share your message, make an impact and an income with your message. And so, yeah, man, it's been a fun journey, but I've been in the speaking world most of my career and uh, absolutely love it. Right. And for those listening, I think you still have this. You have a system that allows people to calculate how much they could charge or a range they could charge, right? Yeah, yeah. So like one of the most common questions, as you all know, is is like, how much do I charge as a speaker? And the answer is like, it, it depends, you know, which is a horrible cop-out answer. But there's a lot of variables that go into it. So, you know, your industry is going to be a factor. You know, you're going to be able to charge more in some industries versus others. You can charge more speaking to corporations versus nonprofits. You can charge more speaking to colleges versus elementary schools. It's not that one's better or worse than the other. It's just every pond, every sandbox, every industry is going to be slightly different. Another variable and factor is going to be your marketing assets, your marketing materials. So whether we like it or not, people judge books by their cover. So you want to make sure that your website, your demo video, that they look sharp, that they look professional. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to have spent tens of thousands of dollars on it. But if I'm an event planner and I'm looking at your site and your video and I'm looking at five others, 
Like you just want to make sure that your stuff stands out and that it looks professional and looks good. Another variable and factor is going to be your experience. If you're a brand new speaker just getting started, you probably won't be able to charge as much as someone who's been doing this for many, many years and is probably, frankly, just a better speaker than you are. And so there's a bunch of variables and factors that go into it. So we had enough people that ask us all the time. And finally, we're like, is there a way to like calculate this in some way? And so we developed what we call the speaking fee calculator. So if people want to check it out, it's totally free. You can go to myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. Again, totally free. Answer a couple multiple choice questions there. It'll spit out a number at the end of what you could or should be charging as a speaker. Now, speaking fees are you know much more of an art than a science. And again, there's a lot of nuance there, but at least get you in the ballpark when you're going, like, I don't know, man, do I need to be charging 500 or 50,000? I got zero clue. It'll at least get you a ballpark there to get going. But again, totally free. Check it out. Myspeakerfee.com. I had to bring it up because it was one of my favorite things that you did. You know, I said, I've been following your career for a while. And the reason I love this is because I get asked the same questions. And to your point, it is variables, right? Even when you add the virtual component in the last few years, then some people ask, well, do I still charge the same as in person? Or there are people who blew up during the pandemic and they have an established audience. And so they might jump the typical beginner fee rate because to their mind or to the company's mind, they have enough leverage of an audience where they, they will start at maybe the place that someone with 10 years experience might've started, but they say, well, I have a million followers. So you want me or no. <laughs> and so it's really about understanding your point of leverage, understand the power of your message. And this is something I don't know if you'll agree with, there are some times you just have to say no, even if it's just not worth your time. Absolutely. Like everybody's time has value. And especially the, you know, early on, I remember I was like, I was saying yes to anything I could, I could possibly do, you know, and you're just looking for at bats. And, and one of the big things, especially early on with anything is, is you're looking to get better. You're looking to improve your craft. And so how do you get better as a speaker? You speak, you know, how do you get better as a podcaster? You podcast, how do you get better as a writer? You write. And so you know, the more opportunities you can speak, the more comfortable you become. And, and speaking is, is very much a momentum business, meaning that I heard a friend say one time, like, the more you speak, the more you speak. And so I can give you a bunch of examples of where, you know, I spoke at some random event and someone was in the audience and it led to something else. And then, you know, the event planner referred me to someone else. And, you know, you can just point kind of like you pull on a thread and trace like a bunch of events back to like one event or a multiple events where different people saw you. And so the more you speak, the more you start to build some of that snowball and that momentum effect. And so in the beginning, yeah, you may be speaking at some things here and there just to try to get some momentum, but you always have to have some form of criteria of when it makes sense to speak at something and when it doesn't. One thing I want to kind of piggyback on is whenever it comes to a speaking fee, I think there's a big misconception that the idea of speaking for free is a bad thing. And it's okay to speak for free, comma, as long as you know why you're doing it. The mistake a lot of speakers make is just like, oh man, I just want to speak for free. Then it's all just going to work out. I was like, no, no, no. You're running a business. You got to treat it as a business. And so let me give you some examples real quick on like why it may make sense to speak for free. Again, like we touched on, especially early on when you're just looking for practice, you're looking for reps, you're looking for at bats. It might make sense to speak for free. Maybe you offer some type of product or service. And so it may make sense for you to speak for free from a lead gen standpoint. There's a lot of clients that we work with that have that model where they go speak and maybe they were paid something, maybe they were paid nothing, but it's less about what they're paid or weren't paid and more about their kind of exposure to a certain audience that may become clients or customers of their product or service, or maybe, you know, may hire them for coaching or consulting or something like that. So there's huge opportunities to use speaking as lead generation as well. Maybe just from like a travel standpoint, I had a, a friend of mine a couple of years ago who he doesn't do a ton of speaking, but had someone who'd reached out and he lives here in the US. This was an event in Europe. 
he was invited to come speak at it. And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm interested or not. What do I even charge for something like this? And so we're kind of talking it through. And I said, here's what you need to do is, is let's negotiate to get them to pay for your wife to travel over as well and to stay some additional nights on their dime. And you guys just turn it into a European vacation. He's like, awesome. Can I do that? Like, absolutely, you can do that, right? Everything's negotiable. And so that's ended up what he did. He flew over there, spoke once or twice at the conference. Wife came with him. The event paid for it. And so they paid him less than maybe what he would have liked to receive. But they covered, you know, his wife's travel. They covered some additional nights in the hotel. And so it is, they were able to turn it into a European vacation. So again, even though maybe he was paid less, or maybe let's say hypothetically, he wasn't even paid at all, but he got quote unquote, a European vacation out of it. Like there's huge value there. And so as speakers, you are providing something of value. And so you have to receive something of value in exchange. And again, the point being is the value that you receive is not always in the form of a check. There's a lot of ways that you can receive value. But again, the overarching idea here is that you're running a business, so you have to treat it as such. So you're a man of faith. And when you think about what you're saying, there's an element of faith that you have to have in your message as well. I, I started, uh, you said you started 15 years ago. That was when I first came to the United States. But I graduated four years after that in 2011. And I, I remember that crossroads you have. You're not a citizen. You're figuring out <laughs> what you want to do. You have a degree and this and then you're in a job you hate, then you go back to school for the MBA, but then you feel, you realize that you just can't do what you're not called to do. I might speak in career started in 2014, but it was an interesting journey understanding that there's a belief in the message you have, even if people don't see it. I run a diversity equity inclusion company. And, and back then, even though it was around, it wasn't what it is now in the sense that people didn't want to talk about it, but you have to have the ability to be able to understand the product, the service, who needs it, why they need it, what a case study could look like, who potential people could be there. But back then I used to do a lot of free speaking gigs, but like you said, the intention was I needed referrals and I needed video. <laughs> and so I would usually negotiate, well, you know, if you just record the thing, I'll put it on YouTube or clip it out for someone else. Or if I got referrals from you to someone else that you feel like that, that would just be great for me to at least test my framework within your system. And so the speaking was also consulting, all right? So it's that idea of you can turn your speaking thing into a full-on process or a life cycle of your business if you really see through the entire life cycle of what it could be. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's great about speaking is there's a lot of different ways that someone could utilize speaking in their business, right? So uh, early on for me, all I wanted to do is speak. So I didn't have a podcast or course or training or coaching or consulting or anything. I was like, all I was trying to do is book gigs, book gigs, book gigs, book gigs. That's all I was trying to do. Right. And so that's again, where I got to a point where I was doing like, you know, 70 paid gigs a year. And so there may be people who are watching or listening. They're like, man, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that. Right. I want to go all in on speaking. And that's great. There's speakers that do that. And there's speakers that do 100, 150 dates a year. And then there's other speakers who may be watching or listening like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like I got other irons in the fire or I don't want to be gone that much or whatever, but I would love to do, you know, five, 10, 20 gigs a year. And again, I'm just having trouble figuring out how do I find those and what do I speak about? And, you know, how does speaking fit in my, into my business? And so there's a lot of flexibility there and what makes sense for you and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So it's not like it's a, you know, speaking is a one size fits all and that everyone has to do it this exact same way. So I'm also a professor. And one of the things I teach is public speaking. And every year without fail, these students, the ones I teach public speaking are usually freshmen. And then sometimes seniors and juniors who need an elective, right? I, I need to graduate. A lot of them say, I, I can't do it, sir. I can't do it, professor. You know, I suck. There's no way. I talk with my friends. 
you know, in a confident way. But when I get in front of the class, I freeze up. I've seen students have their voice octave go down to a whisper almost. And, and I'm like, you just argue with me about Adam Levine and this wife. <laughs> what, what are we? Yeah, yeah. The whole point is this, this idea, this, 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 I think it's glossophobia, this fear of public speaking. Where do you think it comes from and how can someone work through it? That's so true. Um, my wife is like that. You know, she's like, Hey, you get up there, you do your dog and pony show and, and whatever you need to do there. But she's like, there's zero chance I'm ever getting up there and you better not call on me. And, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, that's fine. You know, and so some people, you know, absolutely love being on stage and they love that. And some people, I think, I think another big kind of misconception is, you know, speakers just don't get nervous, you know, and, and all like great speakers you look up to you. Oh man, they're so awesome. Like they never get nervous like that. I don't think that's true at all. I know for me personally, like when I still speak, like I, I still feel those butterflies. Now I do think there's a difference between nervousness or fear and adrenaline and excitement. And so you feel some of those butterflies in your stomach ahead of time. And it's kind of like, to to me, I kind of think about it. Like you think about like those big moments in life where I think about for me, like when I proposed to my wife or when my daughters were born or, you know, when we made some big decision or something, you kind of feel like those butterflies in your stomach. And it's not like when I proposed to my wife, it's not like, oh man, I'm so scared. Like this is not going to go well. There's a good chance she's going to reject me. It's like, I don't feel fear, you know, but it's just adrenaline excitement of just like, it's like the body's way of saying, Hey, heads up, bro. Like this is a big deal. Like this is an important moment, you know, like lock in. And I think oftentimes like we feel like that whenever it comes to speaking, whether it's going to be you're standing in a theater or an auditorium giving a speech to, you know, 5,000 people, or you're in a public speaking class giving a, a speech to 20 of your peers, like you still feel those nerves and those butterflies. And again, that's not a bad thing at all. You look at like some of the best athletes in the world, for example, you know, before the big game, they feel those butterflies, they feel those nerves. And it's not like they feel like, oh man, I, I suck at this. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, no, no, like they're professionals. They know what they're doing, but they still feel that adrenaline, that excitement. Now, the question becomes though, is what do you do in those moments? How do you minimize that? How do you make sure that it doesn't become this restricting or debilitating thing that just completely shuts you down and like just messes with you, right? And so I think one of the best things you can do is really spend some time practicing behind the scenes, practicing, practicing, practicing. So again, the best speakers on the planet, we assume that, oh, they're just really, really good at speaking. And so they just, you know, probably scribble some notes on a napkin. They hop up on stage and it just all magically works out. And it just doesn't work like that. Again, let's go back to the athlete example. You know, you think about the best athletes in the world and you think, oh, they're just so good. They just go out there and play. And like, yeah, you take, you know, someone like a LeBron James, who's a large human specimen and is just naturally very, very athletic. But the dude also still spends a ridiculous amount of time practicing, practicing, doing, you know, basketball drills and strength training and conditioning and make sure that he does the work behind the scenes. So whenever it comes time for the game, he's prepared, he's ready, right? And the same thing is true for a speaker. If you want to treat this like a professional, then you got to do the work behind the scenes. And Ty, I'm guessing you've seen this from the perspective of a professor, I think about it like an exam or a quiz or a test. And if you're giving out a, an exam, you're going to have some students that are going to roll in and like, they didn't study, they didn't prepare. They're just like, oh man, I'm going to flunk this. Just go ahead and give me an F. Like, can I just go? Yeah. I leave, you know? <laughs> and you're going to have some that are just like, I did my work. I put in the work. I studied. I prepared. I went over my notes. I reviewed. I went through some pop quiz. I, I did all the practice stuff I need to do. So they come in and again, they may still feel a little bit of nerves and shakiness there, but there's also a level of confidence of, 
I've done the work, I've practiced, I've prepared for this moment, give me the test, let's do this, right? And so again, I think one of the best things that any speaker at any level can do is really spend the time practicing, practicing, practicing. Now, what is exactly is that, do we mean by that? And so if I had a speech presentation coming up, everybody's kind of different. What I personally do is one quick side note here. I highly recommend that if you're, especially if you're speaking on a regular basis, that you're doing the same talk or a variation of the same talk over and over and over. Meaning like one mistake a lot of newer speakers make is they feel like they need to offer a whole bunch of different talks and every talk needs to be you know made from scratch. Like don't do that, right? Assuming you're speaking to different audiences, you should be using a lot of the same material. So each time you speak, Whenever you do speak, you're making an educated guess. I think this is funny. I think this will resonate. I think this makes sense. You're getting real-time feedback from the audience. Like I told a story and nobody laughed and it didn't make any sense at all. So scrap that or adjust that or tweak that. But next time you tell it, the story is probably going to be a little bit better. And then the third time and the fourth time and the hundredth time, it's going to be a really dialed in story because you've got that real-time feedback from the audience. So one thing would be make sure that you are using the same material, that you're telling same stories. Again, assuming it's different audiences and you're getting those reps, you're getting that practice, you're getting that real-time feedback. So what I would do is, again, assuming that I'm, let's say I'm doing some new material that I've never done before. Personally, for me, I will actually manuscript it out word for word. Now, I'm not trying to memorize it word for word because, again, uh, one thing to remember is if you're giving a speech and you forget part of a story or you tell things out of order, nobody knows. Nobody has any clue, right? If you're at a game or a concert and someone's singing the national anthem and someone butchers the words, everybody knows. But if you're giving a speech and you tell and, you know, you skip a point or you tell things out of order, Nobody's following along like, oh, oh, wait, hang on. Let's go back there. You said this and you meant to say that. Like nobody knows. Nobody has any clue, right? So as long as you keep rolling with it, like nobody knows the difference. So one thing I'll do is I'll manuscript it out again, not to memorize it verbatim, but just to really think through, okay, this comes and then I'm going transitioning to this. And there's probably going to be a couple of key sentences or key phrases like, all right, I really do actually want to say it like this, but I really want to take the time to think through the essence of the talk. And then I'm literally just, I'm going through it. I'm reading it out loud. I might, let's say I got a couple of papers of an entire manuscripted speech. I might go through a page and then set that page down and then try doing it from memory and just trying to think, okay, then this comes and then I transition to here and then this happens. Again, you're just practicing it. And this is like non-sexy, non-glamorous. This is, this is LeBron going to the gym, doing basic footwork drills, uh, practicing free throws, shooting hundreds of free throws over and over and over. Non-glamorous, non-sexy, but it's the stuff that pros do behind the scenes so that by the time they step up on stage or they step up on the field or they step up on the court, that they are ready to perform. Well said. I mean, I completely agree with you. I want to touch on the point you brought up about reps before I go back to what I want to say here. So one of the people I encourage people to study, I study a lot of stand-up comics, but I always encourage my students to do the same. And I say, you know, this material has been performed multiple times in small comedy clubs all yeah. over, right? And sometimes, you know, I live in New York, it's just comedy century. So you see that, and I, I will always tell them, you, the first, that joke wasn't funny at some point, you know, sometimes with social media, you see, oh, this person said this, I can't believe he said that. And they always said, just workshop in the joke, they're workshopping the joke. But that material ends up becoming a special and not big year. It's the same sort of thing you have to do. For a lot of my students, I, I always, the things I, I break it down to would be, I would notice that the questioning their competence and I'm saying, well, what will feed your confidence then? Your knowledge, the reps of knowing it and the self-talk you have. A lot of them have already told themselves that they're bad public speakers or 
that their voice isn't the way they're supposed to be, or they're not like this other student. And I'm saying all those things play a role in how you show up here because you've created a narrative about yourself that you now feel like you have to live up to, whether you're doing it consciously or not. But if Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You accept the fact that you've done everything you can. You've outlined it. You've rehearsed. And even if your voice is soft or loud, what's going to happen on stage is the only thing I'm grading you. I'm grading you on your delivery and your speaking. And you have nothing else to worry about. But it's very hard for people to make that mental tone there because, you know, there's this, I'm sure you have a different speaking style than I do. I've watched some of your videos than I do. But someone could look at both of us and say, I didn't speak like Grant. Do I didn't speak like Tyo? That makes that means I'm sad. And I'm like, well, no, but you got your own style. Just trust the material and trust yourself. Yeah. A, cu- a couple of thoughts to piggyback on that. One is I thousand percent agree on the comedian stuff. I watch a lot of comedy. I love watching good comedians. And again, I think it's just a misconception that people assume like, oh, they you know record that Netflix special and they just nailed it on the first try. It's like, no, actually they don't. Like there's uh, a lot of times where they're spending so much time practicing. And again, like you said, those little clubs and sometimes you'll see some clips of that. I, like one of my favorite documentaries is a documentary called Comedian. And the premise is, uh, have you seen this before? No, I haven't. I got it. I think it was on Netflix for a little while. I actually bought the DVD years ago because uh, it was so good. But the premise is basically after the TV show Seinfeld ended, Jerry Seinfeld, who is a longtime stand-up comic, is very, very successful even to this day, still tours and travels and does a, a lot of stand-up comedy. But after the TV show Seinfeld finishes, which is one of the most popular TV shows of all time, sitcoms of all time, he's working on his next special. He's working on his next set. And so it shows him kind of going from to these like little clubs, like in New York, and he's going up there and he's bombing. Like he's telling jokes and forgetting the punchline or forgets his train of thought, you know? So you just see this guy like Jerry Seinfeld, like I mean, Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld's a legend, like in the comedy world. And he's going up there and he sucks, you know, but it's him workshopping. It's him practicing. It's it's like literally that's how the sausage is made. And so you see the finished product and you think, oh, that just happens. Like, no, no, it's all the workshopping behind the scenes. So basically that documentary comedian is shows the behind the scenes stuff. So you see the finished product, but here's how he actually got there. So it's, I think it's really, really helpful. I think it's really, really dangerous to compare where you are today to where some other speaker is. So whatever speaker you look up to, you admire, you respect, you think, oh man, you know, Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, whoever, like I'll never be as good of a speaker as there. Well, like you're looking at someone who's been doing this for a long time. So it's important to remember every speaker that you look up to, you admire, you respect, every speaker starts from zero. There was a time where they had done zero gigs and then they did their 
first gig and then they did their second gig, right? So it's the same thing of me going like, oh man, I'll never be able to play basketball like LeBron. Well, yeah, probably not, but he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have, right? So it's not fair to be like, well, LeBron's better than me. Yep, he sure is because he's also spent a ton more time on that craft than I have. So I can't compare where he's at today to where I'm at today because those are two totally different places. So don't get caught up in that you know, one of the best things you can do is like sometimes go on YouTube or somewhere and like look up like old speaking footage and you'd be like, oh, dang, they used to suck too, you know, or they're not nearly as good then as they are now. Like realize like everybody starts from zero. And I think that's encouraging. 100%. And Grant, I always say it's a combination of self-awareness and situation awareness. Now I, I teach in this, I'm all about change makers, right? So I want people to be healthy here and so that they can understand what, you know, they're doing here. Right? I'm usually in a field where I'm, I might be in a room with people that hate me. Like I, that happens all the time, right? Just, I'm doing a lot of anti-racism and all these things. And so there has to be a strong sense of self. I noticed that that is also transferable in any public speaker, because if you feel like, yeah, I stutter, I have dyslexia, I have this and it's okay. And I own it. There are the chances of other people bringing that up is not going to affect you as much as you think. But then the situation awareness, you did that with the Jersey here brought up LeBron. You notice out 23 here. I always say my students, all of you are doing the same class. There's something you can pick up here. If you're nervous, it's okay to say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm nervous. I know some of you had a straw, you know, you had that biology exam early on, whatever, or Hey, who, who are my Gamecocks? Whatever you're soccer on and where you go, you know, th- those things that speakers use. And I'm always saying there are tricks that you can always use to center yourself and recenter yourself. Even if you watch awards, People that win awards for first time Oscars, they're overcome with emotion and, and the audience is generally on their side to just clapping and cheering them on. You're like, okay, come on, come on, come on, say it, say it. You know, what it comes to tears. And I'm always reminding people that this situation is there. They're already here, but you, your ability to communicate what you're feeling, understand how you feel and understand that you deserve there is going to show up in the long run. And even if someone ends up disagreeing with you, which often happens to me, the fact that you delivered it in a specific case is something that is worthy of being applauded in that sense. So it's just a combination of this, right? The reps, the ability of how you see yourself, the seriousness that you take with it and just understanding what's happening around you. Yeah, I tell speakers all the time, like, remember, like, as a speaker, you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. And so act like a human, right? I think sometimes we assume like we're supposed to get up on stage and it's supposed to be this incredibly polished, finished presentation. And like, Sure, there, there's an element of that. But again, you look at, let's go back to the comedian example for a second. The best comedians, it looks like they just are coming up with this stuff like off the top of their head. Like they just made that up or they just said that random thing or something weird happened. And then you realize like, oh, wait, they always do it like that. And again, it's not like this manipulative thing, but it's just like they are so good at what they do that it makes it look effortless. But really, there's a ton of work that goes into it. So again, like I think that as a speaker, don't compare yourself to other speakers and like, all right, Tayo talks like this or whoever talks like that. And therefore, I got to do this or I got to be more serious or I got to use more humor. I need to do you know whatever or I need to be wild and crazy or I have a ton of big gestures or anything like be you. I want to be the kind of speaker that when someone, whether I'm doing a podcast interview or I'm hanging out with someone in a coffee shop, or I'm going to dinner with someone or, you know, we're talking to backstage or whatever. They're just like, yeah, that's the same dude, you know? So it's not like this, you know, this crazy different type of experience. And so, you know, I think also audiences and just humans in general, we have a really good like BS detector. And so when you're watching a speaker or you're watching someone, you're just like, this just feels off. Like, I don't know if I can put my finger. It just feels weird or fake or phony or whatever. Like, 
versus a speaker just like, I don't know, that just seemed like a really good, genuine person. You know, they just like a really good, genuine human being. And people resonate with that. People can tell that. And so the best thing you can do is be yourself on stage. I really want to talk about work, uh, the balance that you have here. Even comedians that do rehearse for the joke and the pause and all those things. And I always tell people to practice that pause. There'll be moments if you listen to a comedian, they'll say, oh, I thought that was going to get a bigger laugh. That might be on. Pro- oh, you're not going to laugh at that. That they're going a little bit off script, but they're whether it's an insecure, whatever. They're at least acknowledging what's happening. And even it, it might get some reaction from the audience and then they'll riff and then they'll come back to what it is that they're going there because not everything is going to go according to plan. But it doesn't mean that your whole thing is derailed. You can just explain something and then go back and forth, or you can communicate what you thought. Or like, or you say, like, oh, F you that. <laughs> and then they'll go back to what they're saying. So you could do whatever you want if you really stay within that framework, but don't feel like you can't go a little off script sometimes. Yeah, totally. I'll give you a quick analogy. I like to think of it, you know, I'm, I'm not a musician by any means at all, but there's a difference between playing like classical sheet music and playing jazz. And classical sheet music is you stick to this and every note and every like the tempo and all of it and dot to dot to dot to dot to dot right? Jazz is more of a, you know, here's kind of this general flow that we're going to go with, but we're going to also like improv from time to time, right? And so you're exactly right, Taya. Like if I'm giving a speech, a high percentage of it is going to be like kind of the classical, I know what works and I'm just going to be following this, right? But then there's going to be elements where like, we're going to play some jazz here. Do you tell a story and you're like, the audience is really into it. So I'm going to add a little bit more to the story. I'm going to like flesh out the story. I'm going to give a little bit more details or this punchline or this bit worked. And so I'm going to add a little bit more to that. I'm going to go a little bit longer or I'm having a funny interaction with the audience that is like, again, totally off script and just kind of this random thing, like one of those raw, real, you had to be there type moments. So I'm just going to lean into that a little bit more. Comedians call that crowd work where they're interacting with the audience, right? And there's something that's like, it's not necessarily scripted, but they're just, I'm a, where are you from? What do you do? Are you two together? You know, that sort of thing where they're just talking to the audience or the crowd. And like those type of jazz, raw, real moments are also super fun. So you can, again, you can do the classical sheet music, you know, I tell this and da, 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 da. Uh, but then also like the jazz of like, ah, I'm going to take a little detour here. I'm going to, you know, talk about this and still come back to the sheet music that you're playing. 100%. Have you ever bombed? Absolutely. Like every speaker bombs, you know, <laughs> what we always tell students is when you give a speech and you're kind of looking back on it, like, okay, did that work? Did that not work? There's three elements that go into it. One is you as a speaker. Were you prepared? Were you ready? Did you do your part? Because if you just show up and like, I'm just going to wing it, I'm going to go through the motions and then you suck. I'm like, good. Like, I hope you suck. You know, I, I want you to do well, but, and the audience needs you to do well, but you need to put in the work ahead of time. So if you're just going through the motions and just coasting and it doesn't go well, that's on you, right? So you, that's one factor. Another factor is going to be the audience. Let's say, for example, you give the best talk, but you're just like, golly, like they were done. I don't know what was working. Like uh, they just were not with me. Right. So the audience has a part to play in this. And let me give you a different example on this. Let's say you're going to speak to a group of sales reps, right? You're speaking to sales reps at this company. And right before you speak, the VP of sales hops up. They're getting ready to introduce you. And they said, all right, we got Tayo coming up to speak here. He's going to fire you guys up. This is going to be awesome. Oh, by the way, as soon as Tayo is finished, unfortunately, sales have been a little slow. We're going to have to lay off half of you. And as soon as his speech is over, we're going to tell you which half have a job and which half don't. Like, And then if you get up and speak, like it doesn't matter what you say. Nobody's paying attention, right? So the audience has a part to play. Another factor, number three, is the environment. 
And I'll give you an example. I remember a few years ago, I was speaking in New Jersey. I go to speak at this conference. They had a room that was set up for about 2,000 seats and they had about 2,000 people there, right? So it's packed. It's awesome. So I, I give a keynote, goes great. 2,000 people in a 2,000 seat room, perfect. That's what you're looking for. Right afterwards, I was doing like a small breakout and they didn't have another room. They had like a hundred people for this breakout and they put me in that same room. Well, if you give a speech for 2,000 people in a room that seats 2,000 people, it's awesome. You give a speech or a little workshop there for 100 people in a room that seats 2,000 people, it is dead. It is empty. So the environment is absolutely a factor. You got to kind of evaluate. Like if you bomb, is it all on you? Was there a part of the audience? Was it partly the environment? Like there's a lot of factors and variables that go into it. I love that. The question I wanted to ask about balance is you said earlier that building a speaking career can get pretty busy. You know, even now with the virtual environment, you know, there are times I'm speaking at different time zones in the same day. And you can have that now in addition to that. So when that adds up, what happens with a family? What happens with your friends? What happens with your kids? How do you find a structure that allows you to do what you love, but also be with who you love? I got a bunch of thoughts on this. One is that you got to ultimately really determine like what your priorities are. So for me, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We've been married for 20 years, been together 25 years. We got three daughters. So it's me and a house full of women. It's the best. I absolutely love it. And so a, a big, like just core philosophy for life for me is that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning if I'm a great entrepreneur, if I'm a great speaker, if I'm a great podcaster, if I'm a great business owner, if I'm a great fill in the blank, but... I dropped the ball as a husband, as a dad, as a human being, as a man. I've really dropped the ball. So my most important roles by far are being a good husband and being a good dad. If I get those two things right, everything else after that is gravy, right? So I got to really de- not only determine that, and again, that sounds nice and that sounds fluffy and that's going to be the right answer that most people are going to say, but is the way that you're actually living life reflect that? Now, I think one big misconception is that okay your you know your family's your priority right so does that mean that i'm always perfectly in balance between my work and my family no i don't think i'm always perfectly in balance and i think it more of rather than something that's evenly balanced I think of more of like a teeter totter like sometimes there's going to be things that are out of balance there's sometimes where i'm going to be it's just a busy stretch a busy season so i'm leaning into work a little bit more i'm just busier right so from a speaking perspective speaking can be very cyclical it can be very seasonal meaning that i might go 3 weeks and just be i'm gone for 3 nights and i'm home for a night and then i'm gone for 4 nights and i'm home for 2 nights and i'm gone for two nights and I'm home. And you're just like in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. And then I might have a stretch where let's say around the holidays where it's typically a little bit slower for speaking gigs where like December, I'm just in the whole month. And my wife's like, you got anywhere you need to go? Are you sure you can't get a gig? Like, please leave, you know, go somewhere. Right. And so it kind of like the ebbs and flows. So there's times where like I'm weighted toward my, toward the business. And there's times where I'm weighted toward the family. And so I think an important question to ask is, is this a season or is this the way it is? Is this a season or is this the way it is? Meaning everything, every type of work has seasons, right? So if you're in retail, for example, November, December, around the holidays, it's just busy. Like you're just going to be busy. If you're an accountant, if you're a CPA, if you do taxes, April, March, April, it's going to be busy. It's tax season, right? There's going to be times that are busier than others. If you are a professional athlete, if you play in the NBA, right? 
you are going to have the regular season. You're going to have playoffs. You're going to have times that are busier. And then you get the off season. You're going to have a couple months there where you're going to have a breather. There are seasons that are busier than others. Now, if you're looking at a season or if you're in a season, you have to evaluate, is this a season or is this the way it is? Meaning like, if I look out ahead and say, okay, you know, give me a couple of weeks and we're just, we'll get through this busy season. Or if you're like, man, I'm just like drowning and it has been like this for a while. I don't remember a time when it wasn't like this and I don't see anything changing in the future. Then you've got to do something. Then something has to change. But if you recognize, hey, it's a season, that's fine. Like it's okay to grind for a season, but you can't grind permanently. And so I look at it like, you know, marathon versus sprint. Like you can, there's time for you sprint. Like you just like, hey, good opportunity or good things are happening. Like let's sprint, let's lean into it. But then there's times where you're like, I can't sprint all the time. So there's times like I got to walk, you know, I got to catch my breath. I got to regroup, you know, that's okay. So again, just make sure you've got a long-term perspective on this rather than assuming like everything is going to be perfectly aligned, perfectly in balance all the time, 365. Like it, I don't think it works like that. Stage advice. There's Grant Baldwin there. Uh, so. I find everything you just said really relatable to the current climate. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a relationship. I'm not married, but in the last few days, this is going to come out a while from now, but in the last few days, I've just been hearing divorce, divorce lawyers, divorce, divorce. This was the breakup, breakup. And some of it, if what we depend on what you believe is, I thought you were going to be here or I thought we were going to be here or I, you stepped out or whatever. But Obviously, people get breakup every day. It just seems like in the last few days, this word has come up oftentimes. And I think about what you're saying here. And I often will hear people whenever they have enough time and distance away from the situation is like, he wasn't the same person. She wasn't the same person. This wasn't what we agreed on. You know, all those elements of those contracts. So it reminds me that when I get in that situation, it always be refreshing and checking in with whatever contract you do have. And see if you're growing together and, and what's happening what's the separation from there so that it doesn't go down a path that, you know, you can't repair. Absolutely. Like I mentioned, you know, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. When we started dating in high school, I was 15. She was 17. So I, I caught myself a cougar living, <laughs> come on, living my best life there, man. Yeah. You like that. <laughs> yeah, and dude. so, you know, when we started dating and you, you got literally two teenagers, 15 and 17, like we know a squat about life, you know, and then we got married young. We got married when I was 20, she was 22. And, you know, we're in our twenties. We don't know squat about life, you know, and then we're in our thirties and now we're in our early forties. And like, it's absolutely like people kind of grow and evolve and change over time. But I want to make sure like in our relationship and our marriage that as we grow individually, we're also growing together as people. My most important relationship is to my wife. And so I, I tell my daughters all the time, like, hey, girl, I love all of you girls. I really love mom. Like mom is amazing. Cause I know like, oh, so you, 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 you would say mom then daughter. In, in, oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. I've, I've seen other people do that. I don't know. There's this like, is it trolley thin? Is like the daughter, mom or, you know, wife? Well, here, here's, here's like one of my philosophies is like, I think one of the best ways I can be a good dad is to be a good husband to their mom. So I'm constantly just talking about to the girls, like how great I think mom, mom's amazing. Mom is awesome. Mom is uh, beautiful. Mom is wonderful. And here's the different things that mom does to take care of our family, you know, and to take care of you girls and our life is better because of mom. And so I know that like doing that gives those girls like a sense of security, like, dang, like dad really likes mom, you know? I need to get a man that, and, that is like that. Okay. Yeah. And it's just like a sense of security and confidence for the girls knowing like, man, my, my parents really like each other. And so I think like, you know, my wife and I, we've been together a long time, but we're also like, we're really intentional about our relationship, you know? And I tell the girls, like one thing we like to do as a family, like we like to travel, we like trips, we like experiences. So we do a lot of things together. 
together as a family, but my wife and I also take trips a couple times a year without the girls. And sometimes the girls are like, but wait a second, why don't we get to go? We're going to go on that. That sounds awesome. Like in a couple of weeks, literally my wife and I, we live in like two weeks. We're going on a cruise for a week and like the girls aren't invited. And they're like, we want to go on a cruise. And so I always remind them and said, Hey, listen, in a few years, you're all going to move out and I need mom to still like me. And so I want to make sure that we have a great marriage and a great example. Uh, I, I'll give you one other quick thing. I, I, um, I saw this recently from a, a friend of mine. He was attending a wedding and he said that the groom was talking about his parents' marriage. And the groom said, I knew I wanted to get married someday by the example that I saw that my parents, that my parents had set. And it was just like, man, if that's what marriage is like, how do I get in on that? Like, that looks awesome. And so I want to be that for my kids and hopefully for other people. They're just like, like for my wife and I, both of our parents split up. And so, you know, we didn't have a great example of that. And so I want to be that for our girls and for other people. Just like, they really seem like they like each other. Like they really seem like they get along well, that they enjoy life. And that doesn't just, you know, magically happen. Like you got to be super intentional about that. I love it. So yeah, you're setting a great example for your daughters, for whoever they end up being with, you know, they know like, Hey, dad and mom are like this. So, okay. Where can people, we could talk for hours, but where can people find your work, your programs? How can they work with you, your podcast, your book? Yeah. Everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We mentioned the, that speaking fee calculator. If you want to check that out, myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. I binge and consume a ton of podcasts. And so uh, we have a podcast by the same name, the Speaker Lab Podcast. We've got over 400 episodes there talking through all the ins and outs of everything speaking related. So definitely some good stuff there to check out. Um, we got a book called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. So it just walks through the, the, the speaking uh, framework that we teach on how do you actually find a book paid speaking gigs? How do you do that on a long-term consistent basis? So check that out. You can actually get a free copy of the book if you go to thespeakerlab.com. So yeah, a lot of free resources available to help speakers out. So anything we can do to help and support, man, we're totally game for. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And uh, before I let you go, the last question I, I have is my mission statement reframed as a question. So Grant, how do you use your difference to make a difference? In a lot of ways, and maybe this is just a limiting belief, I just feel like I'm a normal average dude. When I got started speaking, for example, I met a guy who, who was a successful speaker and we became good friends, still good friends today. He had a crazy story. As a kid, he had cancer had a leg amputated and went on to become a one-legged downhill skier in the Paralympics. And I'm just like, as a speaker, I'm like, I can't compete with that. I'm a white male from the Midwest who grew up in like a normal middle-class family. I've never broken a bone. I've had a pretty average normal life. Now, having said that, I absolutely love my life. I would not trade lives with anyone. I think I have a really, really great life. But it's because like, I think I've, I've been super intentional about the kind of life that we've built in, in our marriage and my relationship with my daughters in our business and how we live life and the trips and experiences and just kind of the lifestyle that we have. It's all been very, very intentional. So if anything, I just want to be an example of my life's not perfect in any way, but your life can be what you want it to be, but it's up to you to make it happen. Like, don't wait on your parents to solve your problems. Don't wait on the government to swoop in and save you. Don't wait on someone else to fix things. Like you get to decide what life looks like for you. And then you get to go after that. And so again, I'm not perfect. I make plenty of mistakes, but 
dang, man, I really love life and I love the life that I have. And I think there's just an intentionality. And I don't think that's any secret sauce or ability that I've got. I think anybody can pursue that same type of life that they desire. There you have it, Grant Baldwin, preaching intentionality. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really, really, really fun. I've enjoyed it. Man, I really enjoyed this. It was a ton of fun. All right. Kings, Queens, and Royalty. Until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.